Hello and welcome to Doc to Be. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen. And this week we are covering an episode of How I Caught My Killer. Before we get into anything else, you can follow us on Twitter and or join our Facebook group. Info for that can be found in the show notes. If you would like to email us comments or suggestions or donate to us at PayPal, our email address is doctobepod at gmail.com. Please suggest a documentary. We appreciate any help, whether it's a way we can make this podcast better or just a dollar. Okay, so this one is a Hulu original series that premiered on January 12th of this year. It's new. It was a little hard to choose between episodes. There are some really good (laughs) ones. And I remember I got this one confused with another one that's Mm -hmm. also really good and really sad yeah i really enjoyed it and they didn't try to make the crime the crime sound as salacious as possible i felt like they treated the victims well and their choice of cases was refreshing i.e not chock full of white girls yeah i would say it's it's extremely (laughs) diverse yeah they featured people of color and also lgbtq plus so yeah it was definitely i i like this series Mm mm-hmm So today we're going to specifically cover episode five. She's only 14 and she's not home. One complaint, some of the episode titles are a little much. A little dramatic, (laughs) like some days of our lives, you know. It's not just episode one, episode, no, it's. (laughs) Well, I mean, they got to be salacious somewhere. But if there's one where you're like, hey, I want to go back and rewatch that one, you know exactly which one it is. (laughs) They could just, you know with the person's name as the title nah but snap does (laughs) yes so they start this off by saying on the first sunday of january 2013 i looked it up and it was the sixth no (laughs) (laughs) that date just sounds better just look at a fucking calendar (laughs) (laughs) so january 6th 2013 investigators were called to a scene on garretson beach in brooklyn new york after someone walking reported a body not what you normally want to search for (laughs) on a beach the victim was a young african-american girl wrapped in garbage bags she was partially clothed and had burn marks all over her body nearby they find an old campfire and empty beer cans like some youths were having a party the previous night youths i just wanted to say youths youths (laughs) And because the victim has no defensive wounds or obvious signs of what killed her, the first assumption, which it's out there, is maybe she had too much to drink, fell into the fire, and then some other kids tried to cover it up. Which, like, what the fuck are they smoking? (laughs) Like, that's the dumbest theory I've ever heard. They also find a pair of Ugg boots nearby and a fairly new receipt from a liquor store. And when I say fairly new, like, you could breed it. Like, maybe it had just been there the night before, fell into the sand or something. Yeah, it wasn't, like, completely, like, soaked and yucky and gross and, you know. Or the just, ocean. <laughs> yeah, like the ocean. Like, it wasn't of the ocean. Then we hear a tape rewind sound and go back two days to January 4th. 14-year-old Shanisha Forbes gets on the bus to head to school, excited that she recently got her first phone. You remember that feeling. Except our phones didn't even have the ability to take pictures. And I didn't get my first phone until I was 18. 18. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently I've told this story a lot. Um, And also, this one, this case was, like, especially scary and upsetting for me because, like, we're talking about getting our oldest her first phone this coming birthday when she's 13. And 
oh boy, now I'm like, I don't know about that. Maybe you won't get a phone. <laughs> well, maybe, because they need the phone later. Oh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> it's it's a win-lose, win-lose situation. Yeah, kids these days, being able to take pictures with their phones. <laughs> you didn't have to go develop the film and wait. So I don't think they mentioned she was a freshman at the Academy for Young Writers. Oh, wow. <laughs> they should have mentioned that. Yeah. That's pretty inter- like crazy. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Her mom texts her to ask if she made it on the bus, and Shanisha texts back yes, and that would be the last time her mother ever heard from her, which is heartbreaking. Oh, her poor mom. Also, they went back to school. It's January 4th, and they went back to school. That seems... Um, I'm also on a Friday. You know, I bet that they are a year-round school. In New York? Eh, I don't know. I know in Indiana they have year-round school. I don't know. I feel like they would in in New York. I'm going to look that up later. (laughs) So that evening, after Shanisha doesn't show up at home, her family calls the school, and they're told she didn't even go to school that day. Which, what the fuck? (laughs) But then I was like, oh, it's New York. It's not like a school bus you get on. Right. She took an actual (laughs) bus. But what the fuck for this school not calling and reporting that she didn't show up to class? God. At around 7 o'clock, her mother, Sandra, calls 911 to report her missing and is told she has to wait 24 hours before she can officially report her 14-year-old daughter as missing. Which, another what the fuck, because that's not true. This isn't the 70s. Like, this was 10 years ago, and you still had to wait 24 hours to report a child She wasn't already married and a mother of two. (laughs) What the fuck? Uh, Don't worry, I checked, and the NYPD budget was $4.69 billion that year, so obviously they don't have the resources to check for teens that go missing. What the (laughs) fuck? I just can't even comprehend. Detective James Normile defends this by saying that most teens show back up after a day or two. Most of them. It should um, be all of them because the you find them. Because most... Not to mention, like, the first 48 hours of any missing person case is the most critical of any time. Because most is not all. So, let's see. Survival rate for abducted children. Oh, 89% of, ma- of the cases, the missing child died within 24 hours of disappearing. So, you know, if she's been abducted, there's an 11% chance she'll be fine when you're finally able to make an official report. So astounding. (laughs) Absolutely a mess. So her family knows she's not just hanging out at a friend's house. It's a very close-knit family. So they hit the streets searching for her until the 24-hour wait is up. They submit the report, and the the cop assigned submits the paperwork to get her cell phone records. That's such a long process. Like, why couldn't they have at least got that started the day before? It. I just, they bungled this case so badly, it is almost absurd (laughs) so it's basically a waiting game at this point because where the fuck do you look in a huge place like brooklyn that's another thing (laughs) yeah like talk about populated as we know she had a full 24-hour head start on the police her sisters check her facebook account and discover that the morning before she posted about meeting an unknown male friend for a movie i love that she had 1200 friends on facebook and I checked, and I only had 93. <laughs> I have like 100. I, I really purged in the lead up to the 2016 election. <laughs> I've just not really made many friends in I'm life. I'm like rarely <laughs> on Facebook. 
Like I'll go through and like something or make a comment. And someone is like, this was a week ago. And I'm like, I just now got back on Facebook. I'm sorry. I'm at my own pace. <laughs> uh, Monday, January 7th, the police show up to Sandra's home to inform her that based on the clothing found on the body, the assumption is that it is Shanisha. The Ugg boots found actually belonged to Sandra and she knew her daughter had borrowed, that day, borrowed them the day that she went missing. At the autopsy, they find no water in her lungs or sign of, signs of her having inhaled f- the flames. So all of that was done after her death. So clearly she didn't just fall into the fire pit. She was and found a bunch of teenagers <laughs> decide to cover it up. This was a murder, not an accidental death like they initially thought. And what kind of monster would kill this sweet, beautiful child and then destroy her body like that? Yeah, somebody who has something to hide, clearly. She is 14. The family is not happy with how the police are handling the case. And we're not even talking about that 24-hour wait bullshit. They feel like they're not working the case with the speed it deserves. They aren't even searching for evidence (laughs) in an appropriate, timely manner. The family decides to investigate the movie theater leads, so they head over there to see if they can see the footage themselves from that day. Oh, my God. The employees have no problem showing them the footage, except it's already been a week and the tape records over itself after a week. They were literally a day late. So frustrating. But no big deal because the cops already stopped by to look at the footage, right? Nope. They did not. Like, that's like the easiest thing that you could possibly do in any (laughs) missing person situation. You go to the last known place that they were seen. Well, not even seen. She said she was going there. Like, what the fuck? Detective James Normile talked about how he and Detective Luis Sanchez looked over her social media and they didn't think to go there and check the footage right away. Just astounding. At this point, the family realizes that the cops are in no rush to solve this case. Either they're lazy or they just don't give a shit about a dead black kid. I don't know what other excuses there could be for them to not follow up on this obvious lead. It's like the easiest case in the book. (laughs) Yeah. And the family uses media connections to get the story plastered all over the news. So even if the cops don't care, at least the public will. The cops decide to look into the receipt for the liquor store because it's dated from the day before she was found. She disappeared on a Friday. The receipt is from Saturday and she's found on Sunday. But yeah, let's totally investigate this receipt. Which obviously is (laughs) bullshit and nothing. I'll save you the time just to let you know that the receipt had nothing to do with her murderer murderer. Of course not. Why even bring it up? Then they go to interview some of her friends and learn that she had to deal with bullying. And then Jonathan Ho drops a hell of a bombshell and informs the police that a few days before her death, she let him know that she thought she was pregnant. That's pretty fucking big for 14. Jonathan, start with that. (laughs) He mentions that he she held out. <laughs> he mentions that she was nervous, but said she wanted to keep the child. Important information, except at this point, no one knew who's knows who the father of the baby would be, so the case just comes to a standstill. What the fuck? Until her phone records come in, and now they're able to trace her route that day based on phone towers. If it wasn't for the phone, this would have never been solved. No. Absolutely. She (laughs) was so lucky to have had that phone. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to school that day, she headed towards Flatbush, which is the opposite direction. Sometime between 10 and 11 that morning, calls and text stopped going out from her phone. 
Looking at her calls from the previous day, there was one to an OBGYN clinic of some type, so it seemed to confirm their suspicions that she did think she was pregnant. I don't think she ever made an appointment. She just called for information. I want to say is what they said. They check out another number of a teenager who says he spoke with her that day, and he could just tell there was someone else in the room with her based on the way she was giggling. He That guy is also ruled out that they talked to. And it's not until May, four months after her death, when the medical exam- examiner officially rules her death as a homicidal asphyxia, so either strangulation or suffocation. But it also just shows the scope of how long this case just drags on. Right. They're just not paying attention and doing shit. Ten days after the medical examiner's report comes out, police announce an arrest in the case. Between December 26, 2012 and early morning January 4, 2013, Shanisha had exchanged several texts and calls with a certain number. So, teenager. (laughs) Or just me who gets bored and texts people frequently. And I send you just pictures of dead animals. (laughs) I mean... Wasn't that what it was today? It was quite an aesthetic. (laughs) Not animals I found. It was... We were at a place that had animals. Lots of dead called? animals. And it was somehow it wasn't a museum. No. <laughs> which I was like about to ask, like, it's are you weird, at a museum? We're a tattoo parlor. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is like some herd museum. <laughs> so it's really suspicious that the ta- texts and calls ended that morning that she disappeared. Almost like this person knew, knew. it was pointless to text her. <laughs> like, what an idiot. You still keep texting and calling. Yeah, like, what the fuck? They are able to figure out that the phone tied to the number was being paid for with a credit card by a woman who identifies her brother, Christian Ferdinand, as being the owner of the phone. They go to interview the sister who lets them know that her brother actually goes to school in Maine. I think, I don't know if it's school or it was a job corps thing. I think it was a job corps. Uh, but she will let him know that he needs to call the detectives. So not only did Christian not call Shanisha after her estimated time of death, He also doesn't call the detectives. Which is pretty suspicious. So they call up to try and get his attendance records, and turns out he wasn't in Maine on January 4th because he was still on Christmas break. They go ahead and subpoena his cell phone records and are able to prove that he was in the same area as Shanisha the morning of her disappearance, which turned out to be an apartment in Flatbush that was actually his cousin's place. Which, what the (laughs) fuck, man? Which is where he would stay when he was in Brooklyn. May 13th, they head up to Maine to interview Christian, and he's calm as can be. Doesn't seem at all concerned about why the police would travel all that way to ask him a few questions about a missing girl. And despite there being records of him having called and texted her, he has no idea who she is. It's a little (laughs) suspicious. They show him a memorial card from her funeral with her picture on it, and now he knows her. But he only met her once or twice. (laughs) just enough times to potentially have gotten her pregnant you know so it's a back and forth before cops are finally like dude he's on the phone records we know you've talked way more than once or twice and we know you were both together that day he's backed into a corner so he finally admits what happened they met over social media and did have a sexual relationship he says she told him she was 16 however carrie ann her cousin points out that if they met over facebook he would have seen that her profile said her actual age of yeah. 14. He's just a sick fuck. <laughs> and Why? she's right. That was just wrong. Like, he, he knew what he was doing. Why is that such a big deal? 
Christian Ferdinand is 20, which would make him a rapist. So... (laughs) That was unexpected. That was very unexpected. I just am dead over here. (laughs) So on the morning of January 4th, the two of them are hanging out at his cousin's house. Shanisha informs him that she believes she's pregnant, and his response is, get rid of that shit. Such a gentleman. Oh, he definitely was just a real piece of pie. And when she told him no, she was keeping the baby, he grabbed a leather pillow from the couch and began smothering her. I don't know why a leather pillow just sounds worse. I just, I'm picturing his house, or his cousin's house, I guess, apartment. (laughs) And it's really not the kind of decor I would expect. (laughs) You ready for the most shocking part? She wasn't even pregnant. That just makes it a million times worse because he didn't even wait to find out anything. No. He wrapped her body in garbage bags and stuffed her into a suitcase. He called a cab and once he got to Garrison Bay, he took her out of the suitcase, sprayed her body in certain areas, and lit it on fire in hopes of destroying any DNA evidence, which is why burn marks were found in those areas and not just like whole sections of her body. Like if he had tried to set the whole body on fire. So crazy. Just so fucked up. And then he dumps her body into the ocean and just hoped it would float away. Can't expect much from a man who had sex with a girl and two weeks later just accepted when she told him she was pregnant. Did you think about that timeline? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I did. They don't mention it in this, but according to the New York Post, so take it with a grain of salt, but the day after murdering Shanisha, he was just so upset by the whole thing that he shacked up with the next girlfriend in a hotel room. I would kind of believe it. He said he didn't have sex with her, though, because he was tired. Bullshit. (laughs) That is some fucking bullshit. So yeah, he's arrested, and after his confession, he had the balls to ask the cops, quote, do you think I can get some kind of community service? He's such a piece of shit. For a child's life. (laughs) Community service. Community service. Like he got a speeding ticket. Mm -hmm. While he's sitting at Rikers Island waiting for court, a fellow inmate informs the cops that Christian admitted to having a friend help him move the body. 23-year-old Luis Manon was a friend whose family owned a van that they used for their restaurant. And it was actually this van that was used to move Shanisha's body, not a cab. So yeah, this asshole just showed up to help his buddy load up a body and help take it to a beach. And I love to that I love that he tried to deny helping, but when they tell him they can match his fingerprint to one on a garbage bag, it's suddenly like, well, this is what it happened. Actually. <laughs> uh, well, it was like this. I want you to know right now that I would probably help you move a body. But I would not help you move a 14-year-old child's body. No, no, no Like, if you, if you, like, killed some man, I would probably help you. And no I would children. probably, I would keep it a secret. I would deny it. <laughs> but I would never snitch, you know, that kind of shit. Thanks. But, like. No children. If it was a child, I would definitely no snitch. I, w- I would call the police on yeah. you right there immediately. Please. I would. <laughs> Luis would go on to serve just three months in exchange for his testimony against Christian. Which, what the fuck? Three months for helping dispose of a 14-year-old's body and then keeping quiet about it until the police came knocking. Just outrageous. 
Early December 2014, nearly two years after Shanisha's death, Christian Fernand was found guilty of second-degree murder and tampering with physical evidence. It only took an hour for the jury to deliberate. That's basically taking a vote and filling out the paperwork. Which, (laughs) I mean, I feel like they could have skipped that even. It probably didn't help that during his confession when asked if Forbes fought back, he replied, She tried. Wasn't much of a struggle. She was little. Yeah, because she was a child, you piece of shit. So fucked up. Like, it is just so fucked up. The next month, he was handed down a sentence of 29 years to life with parole eligibility in 2039. So not the community service sentence he was looking for, but also not long enough. No, he should have gotten life without parole. Yeah. But yeah, the whole point of this episode is that if it wasn't for her phone, who knows if it would have been solved. Police sure as fuck weren't going to do anything to help. It's a pretty good show, but this episode pissed me off so much. (laughs) It really did. I would definitely, I have continued watching. Yes, I watched all the other episodes. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and it's good. So definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I, I, I would say watching it. Um, so that's it. I think we will be back next week with another Hulu series. Still missing Morgan. Another we have other kid. thoughts. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Doc to Me. The opening music is by Twisterium. For comments or suggestions, we can be reached by email at doctomepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at doctomepod and find a link to our Facebook group in the show notes. Thank you.